Well, good morning. Yeah. Hey, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. If I haven't had the chance to, to meet you yet, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today and uh, a lot of weeks to, to be up here and, and to introduce you to, to something in God's Word that maybe you have seen before or maybe just need a reminder about or maybe you've never understood before. But in the context of how we're doing that um, over the last couple of weeks and then this week and next week, is what we're looking at and examining, according to what the Bible says, um, about the choices that we make and, and, and the process by which we make decisions in our life because we understand that, that our choices matter. The decisions that we make every single day, they matter. And, and they have consequences oftentimes far beyond what we can even understand in the moment that we're making that decision. And we, I don't even think we realize how many decisions a day that we actually make. And we talked a little bit about this last week that when we wake up in the mornings that like we have a decision to make. Right? We have a decision about whether we're going to go to work or whether we're going to go back to bed or whether we're going to yell at the kids or whether we're going to you know, roll over. I, it, we have so many decisions during the day that we don't even think about it. But the reality is that all of those choices, every choice that we make has the potential to, to lead somewhere. It matters. And because the choices that we make and because the implications of those choices go far beyond our ability to even understand them or see them, because those choices matter, it's important for us to be intentional with as many decisions as possible, especially as it pertains to the, to the bigger things in life. And so today, what I want to spend some time looking at is the choices that we make concerning our time. Concerning how we spend our time. Now, if you're with us last week, we talked about how we spend our money. We talked about budgeting and how we, had, we need to have a plan for, for how we are to, to spend our money. The choices that we make concerning our money. Because we learned last week that if you don't tell money where to go, you'll always wonder where it went. Right? In week one, we talked about how we have the most important decision, the most important choice that we can ever make is to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is both our Lord and our Savior, and that to choose him as one is to choose him as the other. We talked about that in week one. But today, I want to talk about the decisions that we make and the choices that we choose concerning how we spend our time. Now, that's not a metaphor. Spend your time. That's how life actually works. You see, each of us has a limited amount of time in our life, and we get to choose how we spend it. Because once you spend your time, it's gone. And so I wanna, what I want to do today, the, the goal of my time up here today is to provide for us some perspective on, on how we use and how we spend the limited amount of time that we have. Now here's something you got to know about me, and I'm going to set up our conversation this way. Um, when it comes to, to, to drinking things, to, like, to drinking water or, or sweet tea or sodas or whatever it is that I drink during the day, when it comes to, to drinks, just the intake of a fluid liquid into my body, um, I'm, I would be what I like to call a guzzler. Um, I, don't, I don't sip. I don't nurse. I just drink. Like I grab a cup and then like I drink it and it's gone. And then I refill it and then like I'm, I'm a kind of a, a guzzler. I blame the Marine Corps. 
for that. I think it has a lot to do with my time that I spent in the, in the Marine Corps when I was at boot camp um, every night before bed because we were at boot camp during, I was at boot camp during the summer months and it was really hot outside and they want to make sure that you were hydrated. Every night before bed, we had two canteens. We had to like just guzzle, like just turn it up, guzzle one, turn it up, guzzle the other. You had to hold them upside down to make, to show your drill instructors that they were empty and then you put your canteens away and then you go to bed. Like you had to drink two, those are a quart a piece. I had to drink two quarts of water right before I went to bed every night. I didn't wet the bed, not once at boot camp. I can't believe it, but it happened. Like no, no, no bedwetting problems, even drinking that much water before I go to bed. Then later in my Marine Corps career, hanging out with other Marines, if we were, if we were all uh, kind of around together and drinking beers together, because that was something that we did together a lot in the Marine Corps, was we'd, we'd have parties and we'd drink beers. And if you were nursing your beer, like if you just weren't drinking it fast enough to satisfy all the other men in the room, uh, somebody would come by and they'd do that thing where they tap the top of your bottle with their bottle and it starts to fizz out over the top. So you have to, you have to turn it up and guzzle it. So like, I blame my time in the Marine Corps for my current process by which I consume liquids, right? Now, when I was in high school and coming out of high school and getting into like my, my early 20s, um, I became a pretty big fan of these drinks called Clearly Canadian. Anybody ever had one of these? Show of hands. Clearly Canadians. How many? All right, good. I love these things. They were awesome. Uh, they kind of went away. Like they're really, really, really rare now. They're hard to find. But my, my wife and I found them a couple, several months ago, back over the summer. Um, a little store in Mooresville that, that we we found them in. It's like a world market thing, so it's Canadian, so it's international, right? So uh, we. <laughs> Clearly Canadian, whatever. So, so we found these at that store. And we were super excited about it. And so we bought a case. We brought them home. Now, I'm a guzzler. I bought these really rare drinks, brought them home. Every time that I was thirsty, pop the top, turn it up. And a couple of minutes later, I'm out of Clearly Canadian, at least in this bottle. And later in the day, go get another bottle. And so I burned through a case of Clearly Canadians in about a week and a half. Now, because they're international and fancy and hard to find now, these things are a little over $2 a bottle. Yeah, I know, it's, it's ridiculous, right? We talked about budgeting last week, right? Like, not the wisest purchase ever. Now, a few months ago, having heard that story and heard me talk about them and, and heard where we had found them, some friends of ours, Kevin and Maria Russell, they attend church here. Uh, they were in Mooresville. They were at the World Market. They sent Aaron and, and, and me a, a text, and they said, hey, we're at the World Market. Would you guys like for us to pick up a case of Clearly Canadians for you? Absolutely. We'll, you know, we'll take out a second mortgage on the house and like we'll get you the money that you know it's going to cost for you to bring us a case of no, it wasn't that much they're like 32 bucks for a case of 24 or something like that so we got we had this case of drinks now I don't want to run out again I don't want to burn through a case of this liquid gold in a week and a half and so I had to, to think a little bit differently about how I partake of this wonderful, clear goodness that they bottle in Canada, because apparently that's where goodness comes from. I don't know. If you're a Canadian, the glory of God may be on you because you, you make good drinks, right? So like I, I didn't want to just guzzle every drink that I pulled out of the fridge. And so here's what I started to do. I have a medication that I take every night. And so now I open a clearly Canadian, and then the only purpose... The only time that I ever take a, a sip or a swig here in the South, we call it a swig in the South. And the only time I ever take a swig of my Clearly Canadian is to take my nightly medication. And what I found is that I can nurse a Clearly Canadian for about a week and a half just taking my pill at night. Cheers. You see, 
when something is limited, when, when we have just a, a very small amount of something that we consider very valuable, we're forced to be a lot more careful with how we use it. We're forced to be a lot more careful with the, the decisions that we make concerning these things of high value. Now, as that pertains to our time today, I want to share with you a, a perspective-altering view found in the, the 90th Psalm. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Psalm 90, that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time together today. Before we open it and the Bible and begin to read, though, let me set it up just a little bit. Typically, when we think about the Psalms, when we think about the things that are enclosed in the Psalms, the, the writer that we most often associate with the, the, the book, the, compo- the composed Psalms, is David. But this Psalm today, not written by David. In fact, it's written by a man named Moses. Now, if you've read much of the Old Testament, especially in the very beginning, or you read a lot about Moses. If you've been reading along with us in your connect group for this session, we've been in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews has a lot to say about this dude named Moses and the things that he accomplished. Now, here's why Moses has a unique perspective as it pertains to our time. Moses lived to be 120 Years old. Anybody know anybody that's ever lived to be 120? All right, good. That's nobody. I was hoping there'd be nobody. It'd be a weird illustration. It wasn't. So Moses, 120 years old. We don't even, none of us in the room even know somebody that has lived to be 120 years old. Now, not only did Moses live to be 120, but he actually lived four very distinct portions of his life. I like to say that Moses had four lives. Right, so if, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you grew up in church at all, and maybe you read about the story of Moses when he was a little, bit of, little bitty baby, and his nation, the Israelite nation, was coming under attack, and they were killing little baby boys. And so Moses' mother makes the decision to put him in a basket and send him down the river. And so down the river a little bit further, Pharaoh, the, the ruler, the, the, the emperor, the, the big cheese guy in all of Egypt, his daughter finds this basket with a baby in it, brings him into her house as his own. So Moses, for the first portion of his life, grows up in Pharaoh's house. He is in the house of the king, the emperor, the ruler of Egypt. I mean, he got flat screens on the wall. He's got Playstations and Xboxes and every video game imaginable, surround sound. He's got it all, right? Like his little, like... Egyptian diaper made of gold. Like he's got, he's living in the life of luxury. That's life number one. At some point, I don't know exactly how old he was, but into his adult years, Moses, knowing that he is an Israelite of the nation of Israel, a Jew, sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave because Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And so he, he sees this, this Egyptian guy beating an Israelite. And it infuriates Moses to see one of his own countrymen being beaten, so he kills the Egyptian master. Well, now he's kind of out of favor with Pharaoh because he just killed an Egyptian even though he was part of Pharaoh's house, and so he, he runs away. And he lives for the next 40 years as a shepherd. He, 40 years, Moses is now a shepherd. This is life number two. Now, he's gone from the palace where kind of busyness of life and all the luxuries that one could have and all this other kind of stuff to a life in a field where you just get up in the morning you watch the sun go from one side of the horizon to the other. Then you go to bed and you get up the next day. You get the sheep out of the pen. You put them in the field. You bring them into the pen at night. And you just, these are some slow days, y'all. That's life number two. 
Life number three, Moses finds himself back in the nation of Israel. God calls, or I'm sorry, back in Egypt to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. That's this call that God had on his life was to go into Egypt and rescue the, the nation of Israel that were all slaves and to bring them out of Egypt. A lot of you, again, if you've grown up in church, then you know this story, right? Kind of the rivers of blood, plagues of locusts, all this plague stuff, standing before Pharaoh, even though the Bible tells us that he couldn't speak really well. He wasn't a very good communicator, but God uses him to go and speak on behalf of the nation of Israel, God's people, to Pharaoh, 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 let my people go. Whoa, you guys sing that to the Louie Louie song when you were kids, right? Right, you remember that? Yeah, vacation Bible school and Sunday school, right? We all sang Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Right, we know that, right? So this is, this is kind of now Moses finds himself in life number three. He is the leader of the nation of Israel. And he leads the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. One of the most influential and substantial acts in the history of the Jewish people. And he is now the leader of the entire nation of Israel. That's life number three. Now the reason that God got the people, the, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt is because he was leading them as his people into something that we now know to be called the promised land. So Moses leads the people out of Egypt on their destination to the promised land. But as people sometimes are, they start to complain. They start to whine about all this, gosh, man, we're all this walking we're doing. Moses, like, it might even be better for us just to go back to slavery than do all this walking through the desert that we've been doing. So they start to complain, and it angers God. So God makes a decision. God says, you know what? Y'all ain't going to get to go to the promised land. As a matter of fact, you're going to walk around the desert until all of you die. So Moses, for the last 40 years of his life, gets to walk around a desert with a bunch of complaining people. Doesn't that sound like fun? That's life number four, life in the wilderness. So, so Moses, with this, this grand perspective on his four different lives, right, in the palace, in the field, back to the palace as a like combatant and leader of the nation of Israel, and then into the wilderness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he didn't even get to go into the promised land. God took him up on a mountain and let him look at it, but that's as far as he could go. And then Moses died. Before he died, Moses penned this, this prayer in, in the book of Psalms that we now know as, as Psalm number 90, written by Moses as a prayer to God about all the perspective that he had gained on life and time. And this is what he says, Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or brought forth, or, before, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, here's what Moses is saying. God, there has never been a time when you didn't exist and there'll never be a time when you don't exist. The arrows go in both directions. God, you are from everlasting to everlasting and from everlasting to everlasting. God, you are God. You are all powerful and almighty. And somewhere in the bookends of eternity past and eternity future, God, there's me. There's us, there's us, this little, this little nation of Israel. Verse 3, he says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. 
Uh, that's like your best, like, wizard, like all these big-time wizard movies. Like, this is some serious, like, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones stuff, right? Like, return to dust, you mortals. That's what you say, God. Now, all of us, whether we admit it or not, whether we, we realize it or not or recognize it or not, all of us believe on some level that God has something to do with how much time we get to spend here on the earth, don't we? We, we believe that in some way God, God determines our number of days. So here Moses is saying, God, you, get, you decide. You're the decision maker when it comes to how long we live. And he goes on, verse 4, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, about three hours. Moses said, God, man, a thousand years to you? Because you're from everlasting to everlasting, God, a thousand years to you is like a day. It barely even passes by. God, you know how I keep telling you that, man, the years feel like they're flying by? How much more is that true for, for you, God? Like, I feel like time is flying. How much more must it feel like that to you, God? God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. How long must my life look to you? Verse 10. Um, Sorry, verses 5 and 6. He said, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. Guys, like, God, like those, for those of us who make so much of our lives, like this, this, he's getting ready to say like 70 or 80 years most of us get to live. So for this 70 or 80 years that most of us get to live, it feels like such a big deal to us, this life that we have and these long years that we get to live. But God, for you, like my whole life is like grass that sprouts up in the morning and dies in the evening. God, for you, it's like, or for us, God, when, it's a, when a, a, a new little bitty baby is born, we're like, oh, it's so cute. And he's got his whole life ahead of him. God, that's not true for you. A baby born to you, God, is like a piece of grass in the morning that dies that night. Like our lives just pass so quickly. Just anybody excited and motivated now? Like your life is short. We're all going to die really soon. Like it's super motivating and exciting encouragement coming at you from Pastor Brian this morning. All right, let's skip down to verse 10. Moses says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble. And so Moses is super motivated right now, right? Like we get to live 70 or 80 years and even the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. You guys ever sing I'll Fly Away? When you're a kid or when you're growing up in church, anybody, how many old school church people got here saying, I'll fly away, right? This is where, this is where it came from, this, this verse. We'll, we'll fly away. Now, if you want to hear this saying, um, you can come into the office just about any day of the week and listen to Chris Hartness whisper sing this under his breath at his desk. It's the most amazing thing ever. Uh, you guys should come hang out with Chris. You can hear him at his death. You've got to listen real good. I cut my speakers off, take my earphones out, and just listen to Chris whisper sing this to me in the office. It's, it's, that, that was funny to me, and it'll be it's funny to the staff and to Chris. Y'all should come hang out one day. We can listen to Chris sing to you. Here's Moses' point. Our time, and it passes so quickly, our time is, is so limited. 
He goes on in verse 11. He says, if only we knew the power of your anger talking to God. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, that seems like a very poorly constructed sentence. What you have to understand here is that, that Moses wrote this. Um, one, it's been translated from, from Hebrew into English. It's very poetic writing, right? So the, the translation plus the poetic nature of the prayer that Moses is praying here, this seems like a very kind of uh, not very well-constructed sentence. But here's, here's the idea. If I can kind of give you my definition of what he's saying here, let's, let's put this up there. We'll read this together. And what he's saying is, if we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence that he's due. That God, God, if we could understand the, the immensity of who you are, that you're from everlasting, from everlasting, in a thousand years, God, it's like one day to you. It's like a watch in the night. It's like three hours, God. This thousand year span that we can't even, we won't even live to be a thousand. God, that's like three hours to you. How awesome are you? And God, if we would take notice of that, if we would recognize how awesome you are, that you exist from everlasting to everlasting, God, we would, we'd take a little bit of a step back. And we would give you the reverence that you're due. Wouldn't it make sense, Moses' logic is this. Wouldn't it make sense with this, this little bit of time, this, this little itty-bitty fraction of time that we have here on this earth, that if we're going to make the best use of that, because it's so limited, wouldn't we... Make the effort to give God the reverence that he's due. Another way to say it would be like this. If we take it in all the context of everything that he said so far, included verse 11, it would be this. If we could see God as he is, we would be more careful with the time we've been allotted. You see, we don't, we don't think about, we don't think like this. The context of our lives is our lives. Like we, we don't have another frame of reference very often in our lives to think about our lives as being short. Because we, to us, 70, 80, 100 years seems like a really, really long time. So for us, the context of our life is it's just our life. And, and sometimes it'll take mo- somebody like Moses to kind of give us pause to, to push back and to step. No, the context of our lives is not our lives. The context of our life is everlasting to everlasting. And when we view it through that lens, we understand how limited the time is that we have. And then he comes to, to his point of application, right? So everything that Moses has said so far in Psalm 90 in this prayer that he's praying to God, it kind of comes to a head in verse 12. And this is, this is what he asks God for in response to this understanding that, that our life is in the context of everlasting to everlasting. He says this, verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days. In other words, teach us to live as though our days are numbered because we don't live like that most of the time. We live like our days are not numbered. We live like we have an unlimited number of days. We spend our time as though we're never going to run out of it. We live as though our days are not numbered. Now, you know how to number your days. You can do this. You have done this. 
for all the married women in the room, if, if your wedding was a big deal to you, and I know that's not true for every woman, but, but for women in the room whose your wedding was a big deal to you, like the, the day you've been dreaming about all of your life, from the moment you got engaged and set a date, you numbered your days. If anybody asked you, they, you could probably tell them minute and hour, right? Like I, I'm, I'm going to be Mrs. Who I, or Miss who I've been for the next seven days, 14 hours, 23 minutes, and 14 seconds, 13 seconds, 12 seconds. You could, you could number it. You knew exactly how long you had until you were no longer going to be single, but you were going to be Ms. somebody else. Like you knew. You know how to number your days. If you're a student, you know how to do this, right? Because you know that when an exam is coming up, that your time to study and prepare is limited, and eventually you're going to run out of time. Eventually, there's going to be no more opportunity for time of study because the exam is that day. Now, if you're a wise student, then you plan, right? Like, I know that if my exam is coming up on next Thursday. That means that from Monday to Wednesday, I got to study. Like, I gotta, you got to number your days. You know that Thursday is coming. And Moses here is just saying, teach us, God, teach me to number our days. And he goes on, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses says that when we live as though our days are numbered, we live in such a way that, that gives us. It happens instantaneously and immediately. When we live as though our days are numbered, we gain a heart of wisdom. So here's the big idea. i got to move quickly. I'm running out of time. All right, here's the big idea for everything that we're talking about today. This is it. Remembering that our time is limited, provides us with wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Let me read it again. Remembering that our time is limited, provides us with wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. In other words, our, because our time is limited, we need to limit how we spend our time. Now, I want to do you a huge favor. I want to do you a huge favor this morning. I want to fast forward you to the end of your life. Because if you take this wisdom that you can get by, by being fast forwarded to the end of your life and understanding how that affects the, the way that you spend your time now, you'll have an opportunity to see through a lens that you don't normally get to see through. And I think that it will greatly impact what you put in and what you take out of your schedule. And I want to do this using the, the, the writing in a book by a lady named Bronnie Ware. Now, Bronnie Ware was an Australian nurse who worked with hospice uh, something like hospice in Australia. I don't know if it was called hospice or not, but Bronnie Ware was a nurse that worked with people who were in the last 12 weeks of their life. And over time, she began to ask all of her patients questions about regrets that they had concerning how they spent their life. So in this, because these people who only have 12 weeks left, they understand what it's like to live as though your days are numbered. And so she began to ask them about the regrets that they had. I want to share with you the top two regrets that those who had 12 weeks left to live in their life or less shared with, with Bronnie Ware that she recorded for us in her book. Regret the number two, right? We'll start with number two. Number two, regret number two. I wish I hadn't worked so much. I wish I hadn't worked so much. She said this. She said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret 
But as, we're, as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Here's what that means for us men and women. Again, she, she was writing about women who, from another generation, but a lot of working women in here. Here's, here's what it means. That if we spend our time consumed in our work, we'll miss the things that matter more. You have to be careful how we spend our time. You only get to be 20 once. You only get to be 30 once and 40 once. Yeah. And by the time that we realize that we've run out of time, it's too late to go back. We have to be careful to put the things into our lives that matter the most. She's getting this from men and from women who are numbering their days because they can no longer avoid the reality that their days are numbered. And here's the wisdom, wisdom that they were suddenly confronted with. I wish I hadn't worked so much. That wasn't the thing that was most important. And then the top regret, number one. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I found that interesting. I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. I wish I would have lived a life that was true to myself, not the one that other people expected of me. She said this. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams, and they had to die knowing that it was due to, watch this, it was due to the choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. Now, I've done you a favor. I've fast-forwarded you to the end of your life. And you now, through this lady's book, have the wisdom that comes from living as though your days are numbered. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? If you're a Christian and you believe that, that you have a, a personal God and that you, that you are personal to God and that God is personal to you and that, that, that God has a purpose and a design and a plan for your life, then, then the, the, the implications of this are immeasurable. What that means is that you have a limited amount of time to accomplish the things that God would have you to accomplish. or something that God wants you specifically to do. But if you don't make the most of your time, if you don't live as though your days are numbered, you'll miss it. You'll miss the very purpose that God has for you and for your life. You'll miss it. If you live as though your days are not numbered. Like you're always going to have your kids. Like you're always going to have your spouse. and Like you're always going to have your parents. If you live as though your time is unlimited, you'll miss it. You'll miss the purposes and the plans that God has for you. So here's what I want you to do. On, your, um, on the program that you got when you came in, in the book that we gave you at the beginning of the year, if you're tracking along a new version, wherever you could write something down or record something, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write these four marks on the left-hand side of whatever page or device you're taking notes on. I want you to write a plus. Underneath that, I want you to write a minus. Underneath that, I want you to write greater than, and under that, less than. All right, write those down. 
There's an awful lot of y'all looking at me and not at what you're writing down. So why don't you write those down? Next to the plus, I want you to answer this question. What do you need to add? If you are living as though your days are numbered, what are the things that you, what is something, one thing that needs to be in your life that is not? Again, if you're a Christian, what is the thing that God would have you to put on that line? We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. What do you need to add? What is not in your life that needs to be? What is not in your schedule that needs to be in your schedule? Second line, what do you need to remove? What needs to come out of your life? What is toxic to you? What is stealing away your time? What is, what is requiring time that you don't have to give? For some of you, look at me. For some of you in the room, you need to write somebody's name on that line. There, there's a person in your life that is robbing you of the time that would be better spent doing something else. Couples in the room, married couples. If you, there may be other couples that their names, their names need to go on that line. They are robbing you of time. They're not bad people. They, they, they may not be terrible. It doesn't mean that they're horrible, horrible people. But when we live as though our days are numbered, we only have a limited amount of time for the things that matter most. What do you need to pull out of your life? Line number three, greater than. What is something that you're already doing but you need more of? So it's, it's, it's something that's already in your schedule but, but it needs to be increased. Something that you need to do more of. And, and then lastly, less than. What is something that you're doing too much of? It doesn't need to come out of your life altogether. Like you don't need to rip all the TVs off the wall and throw them in the garbage. But maybe you and your family need to spend a little bit of less time watching TV and a little more time interacting with one another or with others. When we live as though our days are numbered, we have to continually be asking these questions. What do I need to add? What needs to be in my life that's not? What needs to come out altogether? What's robbing me of time? What am I doing that I need to do more of? What am I doing too much of that I need a little less? time doing. Let me ask you this question. Because how you're going to determine what goes on those lines is based on how you answer this question. What criteria determines those choices? What filter do I run my life through that determines what I add, what I take out, what I need to do more of, what I need to do less of? What criteria are you using to make those decisions? Can, can I give you a, can I help you? Can, can I recommend for you the filter that you use for that? We say it here all the time at our church. If you're a Christ follower, if Christ is in fact your Lord and your Savior, then the filter that, 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 that I and my family are going to run those questions through is this. How can I better love God? What can I do to my schedule that I would love God more completely? What do I need more of in my life that I'm, I'm doing a little bit of now, but I need to do more of that? What do I need to add into my life altogether? Do I need, do I need more time in Scripture? Do I, need, do I need to make my kids go to student group? Do I need to make my kids go to the children's ministry here at the church? Do I need to make my family come to church with me on a Sunday? What do I need to add into my life that I'm not currently doing so that I can better love God? What do I need to say? What is keeping me from loving God well? 
Is there, is there a person or is there something in my schedule right now that, that bumps up against my ability to more completely love God with my life? What is it? And if it's there, I need to get rid of that thing. I need to get rid of those people, not because they're bad people, but they're keeping me from loving God the way that I want to love God, so they got to go. What needs to come out? What do you need to do more of? What do you need to do less of so that you and your family would better love God? Number two, y'all know where this is going, right? Love people. What, what in my schedule is prohibiting me from loving people better? What do I need to take out of my schedule that is preventing me from loving people? What do I need to add in? Where do I need to go? Where do I need to spend? What location do I need to spend my time in so that I can better love people? We're going to talk more about that next week. That's coming up next week. We're going to talk about where you need to spend your time. We're going to talk about that. Because, there, because how you use your time matters. The decisions that you make, the choices that you make on how to spend your time matter. And if the call on our lives is to love God, love people, and serve the world, then our decisions should run through that filter. What do I need more of? What do I need to less of? What do I need to add in? What do I need to pull out so that I can love God, so that I can love people better and so that I can more efficiently and effectively serve them. This is what Moses was saying. God, you're from everlasting to everlasting. I'm a blip. I'm a vapor in the wind. I'm here today. I'm gone tomorrow. God, my whole life is like a sneeze to you. A thousand years is like a day, like three hours to you. God, my time is so limited Man, I really need to be careful with how I spend my time, lest it be gone sooner and I take less advantage of it than I intended to. Our time is of great value because it's limited. See, I think one reaction to this message would be, my life is just a blip. Why even, why even try? No, 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 no. That's not what Moses is saying. Moses is saying, your time is limited. You got just a little bit of it. Be so careful with how you spend it. Be intentional with how you spend it. What do you need to add? What do you need to take away? What do you need more or less of? And the criteria by which you determine the answers to those questions. I got to love God. I'm called to love people. I'm called to serve the world. My life, because it's very limited, the time that I have in it, needs to be scheduled in such a way that I can better love God, better love people, and better serve the world. So here's your homework for your connect group this week, right? Like you, gotta, you still got to do the same stuff that we always do, but in, in your discussion part, here's what you got to do. I want you to write down your answers to those four things, plus, minus, greater than, less than. Take that to your connect group this week. Share that with your group and say, all right, y'all got to hold me accountable. These are the things that I'm saying I need more, I need to add, I need to take away, I need more of, I need less of. I want you to hold me accountable to do what I wrote down because I understand that my days are numbered and I want to honor God as completely as I can with the little bit of time that I have left. Let's pray together. Father, today as we look at the scope of our lives from the perspective of Moses, the guy who lived 120 years, And pen this prayer. 
God, teach me to live as though my days are numbered. God, that would be my prayer for myself and for every other individual represented in this room today. God, that you would teach us to live like our days are numbered. God, teach us how to wisely spend the limited amount of time that we have in ways that would most perfectly honor and please you. God, it can't be overstated, the value of our time. So God, now in the time that we have left to serve and to honor you, Father, I pray that our lives will be pleasing to you with how we spend them. Father, we thank you that even in this short amount of time that we have here on this earth, God, that we can come into a relationship with you through Jesus, your son. God, you cared us enough that even though our lives are such a short time to you, God, that you cared us enough to demonstrate to us the incredible love that you have for us. So, Father, now, as we respond to this great gift we've been given from you, God, would you teach us to live our lives wisely as though our days are numbered and not unlimited, that we might make the best use of them. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen and amen.